Good morning. I have a bit of a disclaimer before I start preaching this morning. Over the time uh, I've been preaching, I've found there's a double standard in uh, Christian speech when it comes to talking about human suffering. On the subject of suffering, there are many explanations that are academically interesting, and there are real human stories that are inspiring, that come from people who have lived through the worst and come out on the other side with their faith restored. I believe all of these things are well worth talking about. I also know that when a person is living in the midst of real grief and pain, just about every one of those explanations and stories sounds like falsehood and insensitivity from the naive and uninformed. Real suffering is a time not for explaining, but for listening and caring. This is my way of apologizing in advance this morning, for I am going to speak today about one of the Bible's reflections on human suffering. If anything I say rings hollow or sounds offensive to you, I hope you will forgive me. And I hope you will know that I would be open to you coming to see me or coming to see you myself so that you can talk and I can listen. Let us pray. O oh God, startle us with your truth and open us to your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week I told you we would be reading the book of Hebrews for the next five weeks, and I mentioned it was not going to be easy reading. This book is theological heavy lifting. I think it's reasonable for modern folk to read this morning's passage, to hear it, and to ask, what in the world does this have to do with anything in my life? The language is unusual, the context is not quite clear, pioneer of salvation, faithful high priest? Could we not just read David and Goliath or Fishes and Loaves? But I'm sticking with my plan to read Hebrews, because woven in these cryptic lines is one of the most practical questions in all of theology. This week and next, we're going to talk about who Jesus is in relationship to God. And that is going to get us into some very practical matters. Today, we're going to talk about where God is when bad things happen to good people. I'm going to start by telling you a real story about a conversation that came up last Monday here at church. Each month, the session of your church, the elders who lead this congregation, they start their monthly meeting with an opening exercise. Sometimes it is a Bible study, sometimes it is a discussion of a poem or a song or a video, sometimes it's just a chance for us to get to know each other better, 
or to do something fun together for a few minutes. We do this to remind ourselves that church is not supposed to be a bunch of business meetings. It is supposed to be an exercise in faith. The opening exercise is always led by one of our elders. Last Monday, we had a discussion about why bad things happen to good people and why God allows it to go on that way. We talked in small groups about if and how we believe that God is present when children suffer or when innocent people live in refugee camps or in the path of war. It was a real theological discussion, people in the church struggling together with tough questions about God and connecting with one another along the way. In my small group, there were two people who both have a young grandchild with cerebral palsy. It turns out they've been asking many of the very same questions about God. Around the room that evening, other connections were being made, connections that should be made at church, and thankfully here at Knox quite often are. The unknown author of Hebrews, known by tradition as the preacher, wants to help with conversations like those. The question we were asking, where is God? What is God up to? It's related to other questions. How do I figure out what God is doing? Which is a lot like asking, how do I get access to God? Or, how are my prayers going to get heard, and will they be answered? The preacher talks about these questions in Hebrews, and what to do when we don't get the answers we want. And the preacher talks about where we find the strength to continue the journey of life, to keep getting out of bed each day when the questions just seem to go on and on. In the book of Hebrews, these questions are addressed chiefly by two metaphors about Jesus. The first metaphor is that Jesus is a great high priest. The second metaphor is that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The first metaphor has to do with how we figure out what God is up to. And the second is about the idea that Jesus has been on this journey of life and he gets it right. Today we're going to talk about the priest metaphor. And next week, we'll talk about the pioneer on the journey. So today, let's talk about Jesus as priest. For starters, let's name the obvious. Presbyterians do not have priests. That is actually very much to the point. Presbyterians do not have priests in part because of what Hebrews says about Jesus. Jesus is our priest. The idea of a priest is simple. God is holy, and we are human. So the priest gives us direct access to God. In all kinds of times and places, through various rituals, priests keep one foot in the world 
and the other foot in the heavens, and thus make it possible for us to connect with God. A priest is a mediator between human and divine realms, a boundary crosser who opens access to the holy. Theologians say that Jesus does this in a particular kind of way. Jesus' life is a kind of divine parabola, to use the image from math. Jesus comes from God, from the heavens, the holy side of things, and in his life on earth, God in Jesus comes down to earth, stepping across that divine human threshold, and comes down to live as one of us. While he is here, Jesus experiences everything that we experience. Pain, suffering, injustice to the point of his very own death. He also, by the way, experiences joy, laughter, friendship, black raspberry chip ice cream. (laughs) Jesus experiences the whole range of pleasures and woes that are a part of what it really means to be human. Then, at the end of his early earthly life, Jesus travels back up the parabola into heaven. The miracle is not only that Jesus never loses his holiness when he is down on earth, but that when he returns to heaven, he never forgets what it was like to be fully human. He's like a self-made millionaire who never forgets what it's like to be poor. So the argument goes, Jesus is a priest for us. Because Jesus shares both experiences, because he has one foot in the human and one foot in the divine, Jesus can connect us with God. Because Jesus never forgets what it is to be human, God sees us when we suffer. And because of Jesus, God understands. The reason these theological gymnastics are important is because they get right at the heart of the question I presented at the start of the sermon. Where is God when bad things happen to good people? God is there. And God understands. Few people have wrestled with these questions more helpfully than Rabbi Harold Kushner. He wrote the famous bestseller, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Kushner would have been quite at home in last Monday's conversation around our session table. His book arose not out of academic interests, but because of his son, who was diagnosed with a rare disease. When the little boy was three years old, doctors told Kushner his son suffered from rapid aging. With this unusual disease, he would never grow much more than three feet in height, would have no hair on his 
head or his body, would look like a little old man when he was still a child and would die in his early teens. How does a parent respond to that? The book he wrote is about his journey through the grief that came when those predictions became reality. The first thing that ought to be said about the book is to say that it is a journey. It is not an academic argument. It took Kushner 15 years to write the book. And he seeks not so much to provide answers, but to talk about how God is present with us when the answers we want are not findable. Like the book of Hebrews has been discussing in reference to Jesus, God has always had ways of being present to us when we suffer and helping us to move forward in the face of tragedy. The book does make a number of points along the way that many other authors have made. If you're taking notes, I invite you to go home and wrestle with these questions yourself or talk about them with a friend. One of those points is that, is that there are plenty of questions in life that do not have answers and happenings that do not make sense. Another one is that human free will requires the presence of suffering in the world. Logically speaking, it cannot be otherwise. Kushner also notes that God cannot do everything. There is no claim in the Bible that we will all get what we ask for. Life is harsher than that, and prayer is not that simple. Of course... All of these questions are interesting to wrestle with over a cup of coffee or in a classroom, but they are precious little help when people you love or yourself is actually suffering. So Kushner finally lands on what he sees to be the central question people are asking when they suffer. Why did this happen to me or to someone I love? And he is quick to admit that most of us will never get an answer to that question. He then says that once we have sat with that question and grieved about it long enough, the more helpful question, the one that helped him, the one that helps any of us to keep living, is different. Now that this has happened to me, what am I going to do about it? Now that this has happened to me, what am I going to do about it? Kushner is trying to help us find hope and a reason to live on the other side of suffering. On the way there, Kushner stops to ask if religion is any help. And his experience is that religion reminds us to help other people who have been hurt by placing us in community. 
And religious community protects us from the danger of feeling alone or abandoned or judged. Our faith and our communities of faith help us to live through suffering and to find in it some sense of meaning. Religion, he says, can also help us find a positive purpose in remembering other people who have suffered and died. Kushner says, if suffering and death in someone close to us bring us to explore the limits of our capacity for strength and love, if it leads us to discover sources of consolation we never knew before, then we make the person we have lost into a witness for the affirmation of life rather than its rejection. The book of Hebrews is talking about these roles for religion when it calls Jesus our priest. Jesus has lived the life we live and has faced the trials we face. And he responds by rising out of his own suffering to once again live with God. The preacher says that suffering with us and affirming that there is life on the other side is precisely the purpose of Jesus. That suffering with us and affirming that there is life on the other side is precisely the purpose of Jesus. At the end of his book, Harold Kushner writes about the mourner's Kaddish. It is a Jewish prayer intended for mourners, but surprisingly, it is not about death. It is about life. It is meant to remind the mourner of all that is good and all that is worth living for. As Kushner says, most people wake up most days feeling good. Most illnesses are curable. Most airplanes take off and land safely. Most of the time when we send our children out to play, they come home safely. The accident, the robbery, the inoperable tumor are shattering life experiences. And they are shattering exceptions. But they are very rare exceptions. Kushner realizes the risk of that statement for people who are suffering right now. So he continues, When you have been hurt by life, it will be hard to keep these things in mind. When you are standing very close to a large object, all you can see is the object. Only by stepping back from it can you also see the rest of what is around. When we are stunned by some tragedy, he says, we can only see and feel the tragedy. And only with time and distance can we see tragedy in the context of a whole life and a whole world. God invites those who suffer 
to enter into that place of hope that awaits us on the other side of suffering. God invites us to that place when we are ready. And if we are not yet ready, we are reminded that as long as our suffering lasts, Jesus is our great high priest, keeping one foot firmly in this suffering world to remind us that God wants to understand.